Hey, what's up, guys? This is Teo Hayashi with you with the Dunamis Podcast. That's right. We are back. Thank you for logging in and connecting with us. We are actually back, and you could actually expect a new episode, something fresh, coming out of here to you every other week. Every other week, we got a fresh episode coming to you from the Dunamis Podcast. And today, I got some fresh content coming out. And I'm going to talk about something that's very, very personal to me, but I think it's going to be very applicable for any young Christian that is living in the Western world and um, actually in the world, but specifically in the Western world. Um, I am a product of cross-culturalism and we are living in a very cross-cultural Western world. So as I speak today, I'm going to kind of throw in a little bit of my story And uh, so I think that these are principles of leadership and also biblical principles that will help you become more and more salt and light to the world that you live in as we're navigating this very diverse and cross-cultural world. All right, just so quick facts for you. Quick facts for you here is, you know, we live in a very globalized digital world. Uh, That's quite obvious. Uh, many youth in Europe, youth in Asia, in um, Latin America, uh, Africa are in touch with the youth in North America. Now, I know that our audience uh, primarily is North American right now, uh, coming from this podcast here. Uh, so never before in the history of the world have we had so much mobility and migration. Never in the history of the world. So quick facts here from the migration report of the U.N., United Nations Migration Report 2020. So this these are uh, some facts before the war on the Ukraine. Uh, so, I mean, I'm sure a lot of this has changed. But just so you can kind of get an idea, before the war, it says here that 4% of the world's population is migrated population. So basically, out of 25 people in the world, one is migrated. Which means that in a world of 7.7 billion people, That's a lot, a lot of people. So top five countries that are migrants, possible immigrants, but are migrants. Top five, most migrants come from India, 18 million come from India, Mexico, 12 million, China, 11 million, Russia and Syria. Now, where are they going? Most of the migrants, where are they moving towards? These are the top five countries that migrants are going to. Number one is the USA. So America's number one. Number two is Germany. Number three is Saudi Arabia. I know that kind of caught me off guard. I had no clue, but Saudi Arabia. 13 million migrants go there every year. Russia is number four. And again, this this has probably changed since uh, the war on Ukraine. And finally, number five, the UK. So geopolitically, now check this out. We are living unprecedented times in our history and a huge, huge opportunity for the gospel. So when you have that many people moving around, you start having people taking cultures, faiths to different regions of the world. And when you do that, you also have people taking influencers to different regions of the world, which means that In the past, maybe they had some, 
let's say, a national celebrity or a national influencer. Now, if they're moving and through the Internet, they're still following these people. Now you start having global influencers and global uh, celebrities, global trendsetters. That's what I'm trying to get to. So I would say like a perfect example of this would be Cristiano Ronaldo. And if you're a soccer fan or a sports fan, you definitely know who he is. So Cristiano Ronaldo, if you if you sum up all of his um, social media followers, uh, Instagram, uh, TikTok, YouTube, I mean, you, you, you keep going through all the platforms, you'll sum it up to 0.5 billion followers. This is the most followed celebrity in the world, Cristiano Ronaldo. And uh, in a world of 7.5 billion, uh, half a billion follow him. That's a lot of people. Now, not only that, I mean, the guy is uh, known for that uh, press conference where he gets a Coke bottle and says, hey, don't drink this, drink water. And Coke's valuation dips $4 billion just off of that press conference. So that's the amount of influence this young, so I mean, this soccer player has. And uh, it's crazy. He just transferred to Man United, Manchester United in the UK. He's a Portuguese uh, soccer player. In 14 hours, sells, uh, what was it, like a half a million jerseys in 14 hours? So he's he's somebody that it's not only the Portuguese that claim him, the Spaniards claim him. He was a big Real Madrid star. Uh, the Italians claim him, and now the British claim him. So he's a perfect example of a a global influencer, and we have a youth culture today in a migrating uh, cross-cultural culture that is looking for global influencers. Uh, gone are the days where you have, you know, very strict inside a national boundary uh, celebrity or voices that speak into that youth culture. So when we're talking about cross-culturalism, this is actually something very relevant today, especially in this digitalized world that we live in. So to be third culture or to be cross-culture, and I know somebody asked me once, uh, why, why is it that it's, it's third culture and not cross-culture? Because when you are carrying inside of you one culture and you're moving into another culture, which would be the second one, uh, you actually start living a fusion of both cultures, which becomes then a third culture culture. And so uh, to be cross-culture or third culture is to be a person then that has spent significant time uh, of their developmental years or their young years uh, in a culture outside their original culture or their parents' culture. So uh, I remember when I was uh, going to college in Pennsylvania and I had a buddy of mine that played soccer with me. Uh, his name is Ivan uh, Salazar and Ivan was a Colombian kid. I, I was born and raised in Brazil, and now I'm I'm going to school in America. And Ivan, uh, you know, similar scenario except that he he came with his whole family, migrated to America from Colombia at a younger age, and and he was explaining to me how, um, you know, inside his house we he said we had Colombia. That's what he said. Inside my house was Colombia. Now outside my house, I was living in America. He was living out of I think New Jersey, New York, somewhere there. Uh, and he says, so when I would step out, I would live America. 
But when I would come back home, I would be like migrating back to Colombia. And so he said, in, in our house, we ate Colombian food. We listened to Colombian music. We spoke Spanish. I mean, everything was Colombia. I walked out. I was living youth culture in America. Inside of myself, he said, was a third culture. It was a mix. And he said it was crazy because I had some Asian kids uh, that we used to go to school with me. And he says they, they they would have, I don't know, maybe let's say Thailand inside their house. But once they stepped out, they were living in America with me. But we had that in common because we had a third culture being developed inside of us. So, I mean, it was quite obvious that me and Ivan, we, we you know, we clicked from the get go because we were experiencing the same thing. I was a Brazilian kid moving to America, uh, experiencing inside of me a fusion of both cultures, which was cross-culturalism or third culture. And so when you start looking at this example of my buddy Ivan, even myself, uh, when I was um, going to school in America, uh, you understand today that the face of America is also changing. So some stats real quick for you. Uh, in 2030, not too far from today, let's say eight years from now, whites will be 55% of the American population. Now, let that sink for a while. I'm saying close to half of America's population will not be white, will not be Caucasian anymore. And by 2040, 18 years from now, they will be under... 50%, which means whites will be a minority group. So right now, as we speak, under 18, whites are already a, min a minority group. So if I'm talking to you at, and, and you're a leader and, and you're reaching young people, you're reaching high school students, you're reaching college kids, uh, young adults, uh, you, you're probably sensing this in the fray. I mean, you, you are right there in the middle of it. And I know that you, this is resonating for you because the church of the future America will also be very different from the church that we grew up looking at as the typical American church. Not only will it be more diverse, uh, the young former majority, which were the Caucasian, will demand diversity in the church as diversity will be across society. So, so think about this. So I got some friends that are whites that went to school with me and uh, uh, a guy and a girl that we were all good friends. And now they got married and they started dating in college when we were all going to college. They got married. They got kids. Their kids are in high school right now or going into high school. And they, they pastor a church and their church is primarily they're in a suburban uh, area and uh, primarily white Caucasian. But this is the thing about it. Uh, their kids go to school Monday through Friday in a very diverse school setting. I mean, they're playing sports with a very diverse sports team. Uh, they're doing life. They're, they're dating cross-culturally. Their friends are dating cross-culturally. So Sunday morning when they come to church or Wednesday night youth group or whatever it is, a church outing, they're looking at something that does not resonate with their day-to-day -day reality. So it's not about, oh, my family is Caucasian, and so my kids want to, you know, mingle with Caucasians. The, the, the fact is, their school system already, uh, uh, their youth culture already is diverse, even though they may come from a homogenous cultural family. 
and I'm I'm saying I'm talking about Caucasians here, but you you apply this to Asians, you apply that to to uh, Hispanics, you apply that to African Americans. I mean, across the board, that is the reality. Our kids are living diverse cross cultural settings Monday through Friday. If we don't do church for them, that is relevant to their environment. It, it's kind of like they're stepping into a Narnia world. I mean, to 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 this parallel, you know, utopic world or unrealistic world. So ethnic churches, which was, you know, something that in the 70s, in the 80s, still today, but I mean, primarily 70s, 80s, 90s, super strong. Like my, my buddies out in Southern California, I'm, I'm good friends with, uh, you know, some, some Korean Americans uh, that are doing ministry out there. And they said, hey, Tail, the, the Korean churches here, the ethnic Korean churches, they're diminishing because they used to be this place where the Korean migrants, when they immigrated to America, they would actually find a cultural hub. It's not necessarily that they really, really wanted to go to church. It was like their cultural hub. So they would do church in Korean. They would have meals, Korean meals after church. And now their kids, now they're growing up in America or some of them were actually born in America. And, and for them, it's just like, well, you know what? Outside, I may look Korean. Inside, I feel more American than Korean. Uh, it doesn't make sense for me to go to this kind of ethnic church anymore. And they're looking for a more relevant uh cross-cultural church but then they're faced with the fact you either go to a, this ethnic church or you go to a mainstream caucasian church and so many of them are actually not finding church anymore and so some of these friends of mine that i'm i'm, I'm talking about they they actually are building cross-cultural churches where kids that are coming from different migrant families are saying hey we're americans now but hey we 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 also uh, want to want to do church with the future of America. So I really believe when we're talking about missions, you know, that the young missionaries that will be sent from America will look very different than the young missionaries that were sent from America, let's say in the 60s, in the, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, you know, and, and we, we want to, through this podcast, uh, also talk about this journey together. So when we're talking about cross-cultural, um, a cross-cultural generation. These are some characteristics that you can find. And I'll, I'm just going to name you three characteristics of a cross-cultural generation. Number one is they're extremely adaptable and flexible. A cross-cultural generation is very adapt adaptable and flexible. Why is that? Because they need to be present in the now. They've learned that through life. It's not like Colombia anymore, like my buddy Ivan. Now it's uh, New Jersey. And, and uh, stability isn't the norm. You know, one one day you're living in Colombia, you're six years old, and then your mom comes and says, pack up your stuff, we're moving to America, say goodbye to your cousins, to your tios, to your tias, abuelos, and let's go. And uh, it, there is no stability. So there's no point looking, you know, at the past, and, and there's no guarantees for the future. So since the world is constantly changing, you might as well enjoy the now. So with that, you, you, you develop this adaptability and this flexibility. Now, another thing that you, you have as a uh, characteristic of a cross-cultural generation is this feeling of being a misfit. This feeling of not fully belonging in one place. 
So this is often like intensified uh, as they uh, meet people that psychology would label them as cognitive misers. Now, what are cognitive misers? Cognitive misers are people that are lazy in the way that they do their cognition. Basically, that's what it is. And so they're quick to label people. You know, it's like, well, you're you're brown. You uh, come from that section of the world. You definitely speak Spanish. And I would tell people, no, I actually speak Portuguese. Like what? Portuguese? I thought everybody in South America spoke Spanish. Actually, no. In South America, we speak uh, Spanish. We speak Portuguese. We speak Dutch. We speak French. And so uh, these are cognitive misers that are quick to label because as they label, it's easier for them to navigate the the changing world around them. And so when you start meeting people that frequently would rather put you or put this generation in one category than to do the hard work of finding out who they fully are, that intensifies this feeling of being a misfit. People don't get me. They don't understand where I'm coming from. Uh, it's hard for them to really know what, how I think, uh, how I feel. They would not understand my family. Uh, they would not understand this conflict that I'm feeling inside. So, so anyway, so, so that is a characteristic of a cross-cultural generation. Now, another char- characteristic, and this is number three, of a cross-cultural generation is we've become, or a cross-cultural generation becomes cultural chameleons they become cultural chameleons which means that you you i think this is very unconscious by the way you start developing this uh ability to easily switch languages it's just like and you you switch quickly the style of relating uh to people around you to the environment around you you switch easily, um, you know, the cultural practices. So so at, in one setting, you would have these cultural uh, habits and then switch. you quickly switch to take on characteristics to blend better in uh, your current scene. So uh, you left an urban, I don't know, let's say, you know, the Bronx in New York, uh, you're Puerto Rican, and then you move into, let's say, a uh, more of a suburban area in West Virginia, boom, and you start, you understand, I, I'll, I'll use my Puerto Rican card here, but then I'll, I'll kind of hide that card over there, and then over there, it could be my advantage, it could be my disadvantage, and you become a cultural chameleon. You know when to, to speak with a certain accent, you consciously take out the accent, you speak English in a different way, you start, you start behaving in manners where you become a chameleon. And uh, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying these are the characteristics of a cross-cultural or a third culture generation. Now, interesting fact is uh, that the third culture or the cross-culture builds relationships to all cultures very easily uh, while not having complete ownership of one. So So that's the cultural chameleon aspect as well. So there's this easiness or this efficiency of, hey, I can I can relate to the Slavics. I can relate to the, you know, the, the Japanese Americans. I can relate to the uh, um, my friends that are from Nigeria. I can relate to my friends from Ecuador. But I mean, uh, you know, am I part of that? Not necessarily. So you, you become this this um, 
very mobile, flexible, and in constant evolution uh, generation. So there's this um, verse that Paul, which I feel like he was so cross-cultural. You take a look into Paul's life, you'll find how cross-cultural that he was. I mean, uh, a Roman citizen and, and raised in Judaism, uh, traveling the world and, and actually relating to, to the influencers of the world at the time. And um, I, I believe Paul kind of felt cross-cultural in the sense that he was extremely adaptable and flexible. Paul was extremely, I would say, a cultural chameleon. And I would say that a lot of times he felt like a misfit. And because he felt like a misfit, he writes in Ephesians 2, verse 19, this uh, verse that says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. And together we are his house, built in the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. You know, I, I really believe as I look at the youth culture of America today that we have an opportunity to actually see a new wave of church builders, kingdom workers, missionaries, influencers of the kingdom into the dark ages that are actually, you know, not one stereotype. They are very diverse. They're very cross-cultural. And uh, as they are very cross-cultural, they will start going into as efficient uh, as cross-cultural people do different cultures. And as they keep going out of America, it will be as if you're looking at a typical American missionary very differently than the typical American missionary of 40 years ago. And these are the missionaries that I believe that the Lord is preparing to send out of America into the 1040 window into the Hindu world, the Buddhist world, the Muslim world. I really believe that if we catch this, why, why should we catch this? Because inside their hearts, they really are not tethered to a culture, to a nation. They really are sharing what Paul just wrote here, and I read it in Ephesians 2. He's saying, hey, we are citizens of the kingdom. We're not citizens of a, a specific nation. Now, I know you got citizenship in, a, in a, a UN recognized nation. You got passport and everything. But what Paul is saying is inside your heart, there's this uh, uh, probability that you would feel, hey, I'm detached. And so you're more of a candidate of saying, I'll be a kingdom citizen with a conviction that I wouldn't have had if my conviction would have rested on a earthly culture. You belong to a heavenly nation. You belong to a heavenly kingdom. You are a citizen of heaven. You are God's holy people. You are a member of God's family. That's what Paul is saying. And when you catch that, you know, you're looking at a generation that's saying, hey, I feel like a misfit. But if you can give me a home away from this world, I'll totally take it. And they'll take it with such conviction that they're willing to go to the darkest and farthest places of the world. So with that being said, I look at my journey and uh, born in Brazil, uh, part of my, um, you know, pre-adolescent years, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, raised in Europe, moving back to Brazil and then moving to America uh, and then spent some time in Asia and then uh, 
back to uh, uh, Brazil, and then on to Hawaii, now back to Brazil. I, you know, if you, if I look at my journey, man, I've had so many times in my life I felt like a misfit. So if you ask Teo Hayashi in 92, where he was from, he would answer. Myself, I would say I'm a Japanese Brazilian. My parents, my grandparents came from Japan. I was born and raised here, but I mean, I was raised in a Japanese bubble inside Sao Paulo, Brazil. So I would say I'm, I'm Japanese. I'm a Jap. I'm from a. Uh, I'm a Japanese Brazilian from a Japanese family. Now, in 1998, if you asked Teo Hayashi, where are you from? I was, you know, moving to America. I would say, oh, I'm from Brazil. And then I would always have to explain why I look Asian. Now, if you asked Teo Hayashi in 2008 where he was from, he would answer, I'm from North Carolina. That's where I spent a lot of my time while living in America. Now, if you asked Teo Hayashi in 2021 where he was from uh, or 2022, I would say depends. Because I've come to this conclusion lately. It depends. But I know where I belong. And I would say I belong in the center of God's perfect will. And God's perfect will has me here back in Brazil right now. Uh, and so for me, it's not a geographical conflict. It's more of like a heart issue. Am I in the center of God's perfect will? I would say right now, I belong right here in this podcast speaking to you. This is God's will for my life right now. And I'll finish with this. I remember in 2016, getting ready to go preach. And um, I was getting changed. I was getting, you know, I was just getting, getting myself ready at home. And I had the TV on and it was uh, during the Belgian uh, terrorist attacks. And uh, I don't know if you remember that. Uh, it, three young guys bombed the airport um, and killed many people and also uh, the, the subways in uh, Brussels, Belgium. And I felt the Lord say, just watch the story. I had like, you know, one of the news channels on and I was watching the story and these were suicide bombs. And um, I, I, I understood, you know, uh, that God was trying to speak to me through that tragedy. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, I want you to pay attention to um, their nationalities, number one, uh, their names, number two, and their ages. So I watched the stories and uh, the news story, and I was, you know, paying attention to that. So anyways, three guys. One was 24 years old. The other one was 21. The other one was uh, 19. Uh, they were all from uh, Yemen. Their national, I mean, they, they, their parents came from Yemen. Their nationalities were, two of them were Belgian citizens, and one of them was a French citizen. So they were all from the EU, the European Union. And so... They grew up, but they were born in France or in Belgium, and they uh, grew up in the first world. So, but their parents came from um, Yemen, and they had Muslim names. And interesting, I felt the Lord speak to me. Why is it that these kids that had all the opportunities of the first world are choosing to become suicide bombers? You know, I, I really believe that inside the heart of a generation, this cross-cultural generation, we have this uh, angst for to live for something that's beyond this world, 
uh, transcends this world, is eternal, is supernatural. And I really believe that uh, the enemy took a hold of their hearts with a lie to give them an eternal cause. You know, it's, it's in their minds is, you know, they, they had all the access to European education, European job opportunities, European economy. But inside their hearts, they're looking for something more than just temporary. And if you apply that to our reality, let's say the American dream, I really think that a lot of our parents came for the American dream. But the young people that are born in America from different nationalities or different cultures, and they're adopting American culture as their new culture, they're saying, maybe I don't share the American dream like my parents do. And maybe I'm an amazing candidate for the kingdom dream. And if we as leaders could see that, and as we as young people in this culture could look at people around us, friends of ours that are in that conflict and bring language to that and say, hey, I know you're not all about the American dream. You're about the kingdom dream. That's why you're like, you know, you're in this crisis, this Holy Spirit crisis inside your heart. I really believe that we can become a country or a nation that exports cross-cultural missionaries all over again, all over again. I know that many have come for the American dream, but the offspring that was born in America hasn't necessarily chosen that. And that's why I think that America that has gone from 130,000 missionaries in the field has reduced it to 88,000 in the field in the last 20 years. We could see this dip going back to a curve up to the far right, upright, if we understand the cross-cultural opportunity that we have here. So it's time for a new missions movement coming out of America, and the time is now. We've known this through church history. Every time that a country sends missionaries to other countries, the country that is sending is blessed. God will continue to be faithful. So I want to finish, and I know I said I want to finish off a few times here, but there's this image here, and this will be the last image. And if you're hearing me and you can't uh, see the image, uh, I'll describe it for you. But uh, if you're watching me, what you see right now is a bridge in Honduras. It's called the Choluteca Bridge. And it was built in 1930, and it was rebuilt in 1996. Now, I don't know if you remember, there was... Uh, there was a huge hurricane that hit Honduras in 1998. It was called Hurricane Mitch. Well, Honduras has always been in the radar for uh, uh, hurricane threats. So what the government did was, you know, we have this bridge called the Choluteca Bridge, and uh, we're going to make sure that we're going to rebuild it before a hurricane hits us, but we're going to rebuild it so strong it'll survive. And that's what they did in 1996. Now, Hurricane Mitch came and hit Honduras in 1998, two years later. But it was such an excellent bridge that it survived the hurricane. However, everything around was destroyed except for that bridge. However, what people did not take in consideration was that the storm actually changed the course of the river. So today, if you go to Honduras, you will see a bridge that connects nowhere to nowhere, but it's intact. It's built. It's solid. It's strong. It's standing. 
and a few yards to the side of that bridge, you will see a river. Why is that? Because the disruption made something excellent irrelevant. We are living in times of a disruption cross-culturally. And I'm afraid that we've built ministries so excellent, and I don't want it to become, these ministries to become irrelevant because we're not catching the cross-cultural trends that are happening in the youth culture across the globe today. So my prayer for you today is, could it be that we are in the face of an amazing opportunity to see Revelation 7-9 even closer than it actually is, which is to see all tribes, tongues, and nations worshiping the king together. And we get to be part of leading that charge. I really do. I really believe that. Guys, this is it, man. So God bless you. Dunamis Podcast every other week. Fresh episodes, fresh content coming for you. Thanks for sticking together here. And I'll see you on the next round. Thank you.